2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hello, my dark darlings. I'm
3: Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. Native American culture has a strong connection to the physical world and the world beyond. Disturbances to the dead are disrespectful and are believed to bring suffering to the family of the departed. It will also bring great pain, even death, to those who dare mess with any Native American spirit, dead or alive. First, obsession that destroys you, followed by humans, the worst kind of evil... Then, the tiniest things bring the greatest danger. Finally, in our featured story, being brave enough to die. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarl. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. So, want to hear something scary? Native American Spirits and Demons They say to never meet your heroes because the experience won't end up being what you dreamed. The same is true for legends. There is always more to it than you thought, and you may end up devastated by your encounter. Like in this story, inspired by Nick. After getting his PhD in anthropology with a focus on indigenous tribes, Isaiah set out to find the one thing he had been obsessed with during his studies. The legend of Uktena. The Uktena is a horned serpent-like creature that the Cherokee people have spoken about for centuries. Isaiah first became obsessed with the creature from the writings of James Mooney, An anthropologist and the only known person to have seen the Uktena up close. Isaiah wanted to join this exclusive club to be able to boast such a unique feat. Mooney lived among the Cherokee tribe in Oklahoma for five years, only to have suddenly died in his sleep one night. In Mooney's dissertation, he said, "...the Uktena is a great snake." as large around as a tree trunk with horns on its head and a bright, blazing crest like a diamond on its forehead, scales glowing like sparks of fire. It has rings or spots of color along its whole length and cannot be wounded, except by shooting in the seventh spot from the head, because under this spot are its heart and its life. The blazing diamond is transparent and he who can win it may become the greatest wonder worker of the tribe. Isaiah decided to follow in Mooney's footsteps. He had a contact with the Oklahoma Cherokee and was permitted to stay on the reservation. But because he was not from the tribe, he would only be allowed in certain areas. It was clear on day one that they were watching Isaiah's every move. And when he spoke of Mooney, people would look away from him. Around day four, Isaiah was permitted to meet the chief. The chief told Isaiah he should stop looking into things or the Uktena would cause him pain. He warned that even if Isaiah were to lay eyes on the creature asleep, it would ensure death for his entire family, but spare him so that he would suffer the most. But Isaiah did not heed the warning. He truly believed he would be the one to defeat the beast. When the chief realized he wasn't going to budge, he then handed Isaiah a map of the reservation with the markings of where the beast could be found. Up in a flash, Isaiah grabbed his gear and headed into the dead of night with only a flashlight to guide him. He tracked almost four miles before arriving at his destination. He spent over two hours scouring through brush and trees with no sign of a slither or a step. There was nothing there. He was bitterly disappointed and tore the map to pieces in frustration. This should have been his big break and he had failed. Mooney was always going to be one step ahead. Feeling deflated, he began to make his way out of the dense woods. Suddenly, he heard a noise like a loud snore. He froze in fear and raised his flashlight ahead of him. There it lay. Its long, slithering body, 20 feet long, and like Mooney said, as wide as a tree trunk. It had horns on its head and beady eyes, which for now were shut. The serpent was sleeping. The forked tongue slithered in and out as it snored. Isaiah could just make out the shining diamond on its forehead, calling to him, begging to be touched. Somehow he resisted, although it was agonizing. He wanted to touch it so badly, but now that he was actually face to face with his obsession, rational fear and gut survival instinct had kicked in. Just as he turned to leave, a twig snapped under his foot. The beast awoke. It slammed its massive tail onto the back of Isaiah's head, knocking him out, instantly. The next morning, Isaiah woke up with several Cherokee sitting around him, including the chief. He had been unconscious for five days. Two men had found him and brought him there for care. When they had tried to contact his family, they discovered horrible news. His parents had died in a car accident two days earlier. His sister, who had always been healthy, died from a heart attack, and his brother passed away in his sleep at the far too young age of 29. The chief had been right. When Isaiah asked about Mooney, the chief told him that Mooney had looked directly at the bright light and ran toward it, inhaling the pestilential breath of the Uktena and dying instantly. Isaiah learned about the Uktena the hard way. He also learned something that many of the Cherokee people adhere to amongst an abundance of beliefs that one should never go stubbornly on a path alone, for it may destroy those around you. And the Uktena did just that. Thank you so much, Nick, for inspiring this story of a Cherokee legend for us. Listener, is there anything you're so obsessed with that you would risk your own life? anything supernatural you would do anything to witness tell us about it at somethingscaryatsnarl.com
2: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well if you own a home you know how much work it can take whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality it can be hard just to know where to start but now
0: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
3: Sometimes elders can be stuck in their old ways. But those old ways of thinking could be the very thing that keeps you alive. Like in this story inspired by Sydney. My family originated from Arkansas, and I am a part of the Quapaw and Cherokee Native American tribes. Traditionally, we have a lot of witches or medicine doctors and spiritualists. Although I don't practice, I respect my elders, especially my Illissi, our grandmother, who still held very traditional beliefs. Once a week, I would visit with her, bringing food and other groceries from my parents. Typically, I would take the shortcut up the cliff road. But that morning, my mother insisted I take the longer route, She told me a little girl's body had been found on the cliff earlier that week. The police had no clue who might be responsible. She wanted me to take the longer route for now and to be sure I had my cell phone. The bike ride took forever, and I was exhausted by the time I arrived. My illacy cradled me in a hug, then looked over my shoulder. You took the long route, yes, child not the cliff road. I could see the worry in her eyes. Yes, Ilisi, I confirmed. I sense an evil spirit took that girl's life, not a human, she replied, nodding matter-of-factly. Then she took out a candle and lit it, wafting it around me. The scent would ward off any evil spirits that may have caught a ride and followed you into the house. Once she was sure I was clear, I stayed for some tea. But Illacy wanted me to head back home before dark. As I left, she said a few words in Cherokee for protection from my ancestors. She gave me the candle and purified salt. I started my journey home and couldn't bear the thought of going the long way again. I was going to take the cliff road. I wasn't frightened like everyone else. People were overreacting, besides... I had the protection of my ancestors with me. What could possibly go wrong? About halfway through the journey, I heard a strange sound, like a girl's voice whispering the words, Turn back, turn back. Panicked, I grabbed the purifying salt just in case, balancing it on the handlebars. As I sped up, the girl's voice grew louder, more persistent, And then I saw her. She was around my age, 11 or 12 years old, wearing a bloody school uniform. Her eyes were missing and there was a gaping hole in her gutted stomach. I screamed and began to pump the pedals, wanting to get as far away as possible from whatever she was now. But no matter how fast I rode, her footsteps seemed to follow me. Since I couldn't seem to escape her, I jumped off the bike and spun around, sprinkling salt in a circle of protection. I prayed my ancestors would shield me from whatever beast lurked close behind. I pulled out the candle, lit it, and squeezed my eyes shut. Then I heard laughter, but it seemed to be coming from a man. I opened my eyes, And there he stood looming over me, not a beast, but somehow even worse, a regular human man. But there was something behind his eyes, his wild eyes, something hungry. He was holding a rope. He walked up, blew out my candle, rubbed his foot over the salt, scoffing. I tried to run, but he grabbed me before I could escape. He was what the girl had tried to warn me about. I kicked and cried out as he lurched over me, wanting to tie me up. Then... The sound of three gunshots. And the world went dark. I woke shortly after to the red blur of car lights. My dad was bending over me. He, along with a couple of buddies had shot and killed the man who tried to hurt me, the one who had murdered the other girl days before. My dad said he'd just gotten a bad feeling and randomly checked the location of my phone. When he saw I was on the cliff road, alarm bells rang and he rallied some friends to come find me. Thank goodness. And I knew that ominous feeling he had gotten were my ancestors trying to protect me thanks be for them and that he listened to them. Thank you so much, Sydney, for inspiring this tale for us. Would you be brave enough to travel a path someone else died on? And is that brave or is that foolish? Is there a time you feel you know your ancestors have protected you? It's always good to reconnect with people from home until you realize the terrible reason you left in the first place. Like in this story inspired by Lily. Lily grew up in the Muckleshoot tribe in Arizona. Once she turned 18, she wanted to travel and found herself wandering about the Southwest alone. She needed a place to land, and as luck would have it, a childhood friend, Tandy, reached out over social media. Tandy and her mother were now living in SoCal, away from the reservation. And if Lily could catch a train west, she had a place to stay. After weeks of saving for her ticket, Lily finally found herself on Tandy's doorstep. Tandy and her mother welcomed Lily with open arms and a makeshift bed on the floor. As Tandy gave her a tour, Lily noticed that Tandy's mother must have been a doll collector, as the living room shelves were filled with them. No more than three inches tall, they seemed so lifelike. Perhaps they were odd objects for a woman in her 50s to own so many of, but without another place to stay, Lily swallowed any judgment and tried to ignore the creepiness. The teens stayed up that evening, listening to their favorite music and reminiscing over Monster High and Furby's. From down the hallway came a noise, sounding like something had hit the floor. Tandy quickly said to just ignore the sound, that it was just the old house creaking. Eventually, the night wore on, and Tandy got into bed while Lily went to the bathroom to brush her teeth. On her way back to the bedroom, Lily heard another thud coming from the living room. All the lights were off, so she peeked in the bedroom to see if Tandy had heard it too, but she was already snoring. Lily knew she'd never sleep unless she knew what had fallen. So she made her way to the living room in the dark. She opened the door slowly. It sounded as if several more items had somehow dislodged themselves. Even in the darkness, she could hear whatever had fallen was rolling, rolling towards her. What was that? She rushed to turn on the light, and in front of her, a group of dolls was on the floor. She was stunned. It looked as if they were staring right at her. She locked eyes with them, and in a terrifying instant, They all blinked simultaneously, and one with bright red hair opened its mouth. Lily muffled a scream, not sure of what she was seeing. Was she dreaming? She ran back to Tandy's room, closing the door and locking it. She crawled in bed with Tandy, who awoke slightly and reminded Lily she had a mattress on the floor. But Lily quickly made up an excuse about her back. As she refused to lie that close to the door, And whatever was out there. The next morning, Lily woke up late. She could hear a group of people outside the house talking to Tandy. They were asking to hang out with Lily. By the time she'd thrown clothes on and walked out front, the group was driving off. Before Lily could speak to her friend, Tandy's mother stopped her in the hallway. She seemed different from the day before, And Lily worried that she was somehow now mad. How dare you insult us by making plans with others and not including Tandy. We opened our home to you and this is how you repay us? Lily was confused. She didn't even know who those people were. Of course she would have included Tandy in any plans. But Tandy's mother didn't believe her. She said she wouldn't be disrespected, and the best thing Lily could do was leave. Tandy came back inside, and her mother left the room, slamming the door. As Lily explained the confusion, Tandy shook her head. You should leave. Mom gets easily upset. It's best you go. Even as Lily tried to explain, Tandy was unquestionably siding with her mother. The group outside had included one of Lily's cousins. They'd heard from family that she was in town. Tandy strongly suggested she should go stay with them. Lily packed up her things, quickly heading for her cousin's house. She was still baffled by all of it. The dolls, the mother's rush to anger, Tandy's total allegiance to that erratic behavior none of it made sense as soon as she got to her cousin's house her aunt Ilyu welcomed her Lily retold the entire bizarre situation including the fact that she didn't even know that she had family in the area Ilyu raised her eyebrows a look of shock upon her face she then told Lily that Tandy's mother had been kicked off the reservation years before as she'd been suspected of practicing black magic she was also frightfully possessive of her daughter, especially after the missing person's case, where one of Tandy's best friends in freshman year had mysteriously vanished without a trace. It had been tragic. She was a lovely young woman and would always be remembered for her bright red hair. I knew she was evil, Aunt Ilu declared, embracing Lily. Then with a look of relief, she added, At least you are safe now. She can't turn you into one of those dolls now, just like she did with Tandy's other friend. Lily realized she'd had a lucky escape. As the enormity of the situation hit her, she began to shake. Those dolls that had seemed to come to life, they were real. And there was something else bugging her. Her aunt had mentioned the missing redhead, but there had been so many others. Just how many more had the trapped souls of people inside? And more importantly, who were they? Thank you so much, Lily, for inspiring this story with the true story that you sent us. Do you have a parent that feels overbearing and overprotective? How far do you think they would go to keep you safe? Would they resort to the dark arts? Does that inspire a story in you? Send it to us. Something scary at snarl.com. Sleepovers should be fun, but when you're in charge of the family business, sometimes that fun comes with a hefty price. Kiana was excited for her first sleepover at her friend Tan's ranch. Tan's parents were on a business trip in Las Vegas, and her older brother Kai was in charge of looking after the horses and his little sister. But since Kiana would be staying overnight, Kai decided to visit a buddy off the reservation and trusting Tayan with the security of the property and animals. Before he left, he warned her to keep checking on the stables. He was sure a coyote had been sniffing around. Kiana was fascinated by the wild animals, hoping one day to become a park ranger. She wasn't concerned when Tayan explained they would have to be vigilant for noises during the night. Plus, they had Mako, Tayan's trusty German shepherd to protect them. Around 2 a.m., the young teens began to hear animal noises and growls outside. The horses were whinnying, and Kiana was eager to see what was out there. Tan grabbed a flashlight and told Kiana to pick up the baseball bat by the door, just in case. They tiptoed over to the stables, where sure enough, not only were the horses neighing and stomping, but they could hear a low growl accompanied by a rancid stench in the night air. Tan raised her finger to her lips and they quietly rounded the corner to confirm where the noise was coming from. And there it was, the coyote. It was mostly hidden by the shadows with the fencing of the ranch and vast juniper forests behind. If they could scare it off, the horses would calm again. On three, run at it with the baseball bat Instructed Tan. Kiana felt her pulse began to race as Tan began the count. One, two, three. Together the teens rushed the animal, who raced off towards the edge of the property. But just as it got to the fence, something unexpected happened. It stopped. Then, very slowly, the coyote rose on two feet standing tall, bipedal, like... like a human. The teens froze and stared in shock as it leisurely turned around, still on two legs. It looked directly at the two of them, its eyes glowing red, and... it grinned. Run! yelled Tan, accidentally dropping her flashlight in panic as she ran they headed toward the stables there was a security light there tan guided them into an empty stall at the end they crouched down kiana trying to take deep breaths and tan putting both hands over her mouth in case she screamed it was eerily quiet with only the horses snorting and the buzz of cicadas they began to wonder if maybe whatever that horrific creature was had run off suddenly The horses started stomping again, one letting out a whinny loud enough to make the teens jump. They heard a scratching sound outside the stable doors. Tauntingly, the creature was trailing its claws along the wood. The horses started thrashing about, and the friends knew they were sitting ducks. They had to try and make a run for it. Now, cried Tan, shoving Kiana through the door, they sprinted in the direction of the house, but Tan tripped on loose rocks and fell, twisting her ankle. Kiana spun around and saw the monstrous yet eerily human-like creature stalk after them. Tan was desperately trying to get to her feet, but her ankle wasn't cooperating. Kiana swung at the tall creature with the bat. It swiftly dodged as it slashed at the fallen Tan, opening a large gash on her leg. Tayan screamed, and just before the creature could attack again, a furry blur appeared out of nowhere as Mako snarled at the creature. Whilst not quite as big, the German shepherd was fiercely protective. He began to claw and bite at the assailant. Kiana dragged Tayan back into the house, and they watched through the kitchen door as the bleeding creature finally picked up the snarling Mako, followed by a sickening crunch. The night was still. And quiet again. The red-eyed creature stared back at the two of them for a heart-stopping moment. Then, headlights came flashing down the driveway. The creature snarled, then fled towards the juniper forest. Kai found the teens together in the kitchen, frantically trying to barricade the door. The following day, they buried Mako, thanking him for his sacrifice, Kai solemnly explained to them that that was no rabid coyote that had gotten onto the ranch. It was a skinwalker, a yi nardloshi, he who goes on all fours, a wicked sorcerer with nothing but darkness in their heart, who was able to occupy or disguise themselves as an animal. But the scariest part was that Tayan and Kiana knew now what it was, but none of them had a clue who it was. That skinwalker could be anyone, and it could be waiting, biding its time, before it came to visit them again. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Janine Pipe, and Sarah Lukasiewicz. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Marquia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings.
0: Sweet dreams.